Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the Naropa community and to the podcast, Hunter Lovins. Hunter is quite an extraordinary person with her work in sustainability, being awarded many awards that I can't even list because it's so long. She is also an author, a teacher, a speaker, and a president slash founder of Natural Capitalism Solutions. Such an honor to speak with you today and thank you for coming. I'm very honored to be with you. Awesome. And so you're here to speak to sustainability classes today? Is that what you're doing in town? That's what I'm told. Cool. So my question to you is, during my research, it was clear to me that you are involved in like so many projects. You have so many things going on. You have like such an interdisciplinary approach to how you do everything. Can you just give the listener, what is it like to work in all of that? And what are you currently working on? What is it like to work in all of that? Yeah, Fast. It's, it's a pretty big question. <laughs> Overwhelming, mm. and so I find I have to take it a moment at a time. Okay. When I get up in the morning, I, if I'm honest, I have no earthly idea what I'm going to be doing throughout the day. And life is like that. Life is what happens when you're planning to do something else. Okay. So I can get a phone call at any point in time from a head of state once a secretary – laughed and said, Hunter, somebody who says they're the president is on the phone. I said, he probably <laughs> is. I can get a call from a corporation, can wow. get a call from uh, Boulder County Animal Control that there's a mm. fire in the mountains and we're needed to go and rescue horses, Wow. can uh, be on the dark side of the planet consulting with uh, small community groups that are trying to save their community from something that's threatening them, Yeah, can be in a classroom teaching. Now, those sorts of things tend to be booked ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last week, I was at the United Nations speaking at an impact finance summit. A couple weeks before that, I was also at the United Nations speaking to the uh, annual NGO forum, 2,000 delegates from nonprofit groups from around the world. Okay. Uh, or I could be flogging my new book, which yeah. I'll be doing... Uh, I guess this afternoon with your students. Yeah. Also next week, we will be launching what we call the Regenerative Hub mm. for the Denver-Boulder area. Yeah. If we were to create a regenerative economy here in this region, what would it look like? Ooh. People say the Colorado economy is extractive industries, uh -huh. mining and conventional agriculture oil and gas, and that mm. that's what it always has been, that's what it always will be, yeah. it's not true. If you look at what our economy really is, it's predominantly services, it's educational institutions, yeah. growing natural foods industry mm. and organic agriculture, a lot of tech, 
a lot of entrepreneurial startups. The Denver mm-hmm. Boulder area is now outside of the Silicon Valley, one of the hottest startup regimes yeah, definitely. in the world. It's tourism. It's the outdoor industries. It's the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. You put all of these together and they dwarf the so-called heritage industries of oil, gas, coal, yeah. mining, conventional agriculture. We have what you might call a regenerative economy bubbling up through the surface. Yeah. And it's actually already bigger than the extractive economy. Wow. But we don't recognize this. We don't yeah. celebrate it. And we aren't putting the effort into saying, what is it about our economy that may have served us in the past but is no longer the economy that we want to be living yeah. in? And what is the economy <clears throat> we do want and how do we encourage that? Oh, I love that. You have this approach where you're showing what is actually already happening and then people don't necessarily know what's going on. So you're getting the stats, you're gathering it together, you're putting it in one place for people to actually realize what is happening in their state and community. And I really appreciate that being like, here's actually what's going on other than assuming something what's going on and feeling empowered while doing it. And more to the point, what do you want to have going on? What's the world you want to live in? Uh What would a world be if it worked for everyone? Mm. Not just the 1% or the uber-rich or the industries that may have served us in the past but aren't such good neighbors anymore like fracking. Yeah, what are we investing in, whether it be financially, energetically, physically, within our communities and society? That's what I kind of get out of that. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So we will be gathering at the Alliance Center down in Denver, Mm. a couple hundred folk who care about this. A man named John Fullerton, who Mm. wrote the paper Regenerative Capitalism, will come and speak on the evening of the 9th. Yeah. So uh, activated. if you're not doing anything else on uh, October 9th, come along and join us. I might be doing that. Awesome. Thank you for inviting me. So... You seem to be so activated and motivated in your work. You have so many things going on. I'm actually curious, like, where does the inspiration come from? Like, as a little girl growing up, there was something that you just clicked in your mind. Like, how did it come within classes growing up? Or I'm not sure I ever really had a choice. Uh-huh. My mother worked with John L. Lewis organizing mine workers in the coal fields of West Virginia. Okay. My dad helped mentor Cesar Chavez and Martin King. They were around the house when I was growing up. Wow. Okay. So this is just what you do. You try to <laughs> create a finer future. <laughs> okay. I still remember my mother coming home and saying, we're not eating grapes anymore. Mm. Well, why not? Because Cesar's boycotting them. To this day, I have a hard time buying a commercial grape. Yeah. Even though now the farm workers are organized, unionized, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the, the grapes are picked in ways that are not as destructive of human well-being. Yeah. I like that, being able to notice something that you're not energetically involved in or invest in, and then you can shift it like instantly. Every day, it in the we make choices. Mm-hmm. We choose what kind of car we're going to drive. So I drive a yeah. Leaf, an electric car. Yeah. We choose what we're going to buy. You can buy from a, uh, a Walmart or you can buy – if you want a big box store, you can buy from a Costco, which pays its workers a living wage. Yeah. Or you can buy from a little local vendor where yeah. you, you actually walk in and say, hi, David. Yeah. And you're talking <laughs> to somebody you know who lives mm-hmm. in your neighborhood. And if you don't like the product, you can go back and talk to them about it. Mm, yeah. 
we can build this Feedback. kind of an economy that is based on local ownership, yeah. on taking care of each other, on having in our community the kinds of products that we want. Mm. Locally grown food, yes. locally manufactured goods, locally provided services. We then can engage in a vigorous global trade if we want to, but we know that the place that we live has its own economic integrity. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of Scottish whiskey. We mm. make good Colorado whiskey, but I happen to like <laughs> the whiskey from Scotland. All right. So as long as I know that my own community is cared for, has its own integrity, mm -hmm. then I feel fine if I'm buying a luxury, buying something from halfway around yeah. the world. Yeah, I'm kind of a tequila person. There you go. Hey. We don't grow so much tequila in Colorado. <laughs> but still, totally. if the uh, the Denver-Boulder area, what might be called the Upper yep. South Platte watershed, hmm. has economic integrity and people are cared for, people have equitable opportunity to enter into the economy. Yes. Their voices are heard. I like that way of looking at it. So my other question was kind of, I guess you almost answered it in a way, is like, how did this path get started? And it seems like you just grew up with some very informative people doing great things and you were birthed into this movement. What was that like for you? Was that just like another day in the house? Just another just day in the cruising house. cruising around. And then when you were going to college, was this a path that you were going to take essentially? Or did you have other no, pathways I, I in was... mind? I was always clear that I was going okay. to be in service to these issues. Mm. So it was never a question of what classes to take. Okay. Gosh, how is it I can make a lot of money? I'm never going to make a lot of money. Yeah. I grew up reasonably poor. I'm going to live reasonably poor. Mm. And then one day, Gal, who's a friend of mine, whose husband has more money than God, <laughs> said to me, Hunter, you ought to be rich. And I said, Best I know, I am rich. Yeah. I live where I want to be. Yeah. I have enough money to take care of myself, my horses, my little ranch. Yeah. I go where I want to go. I'm, I work with people I want to work with. Best I know, I am rich. Yeah. Now, I guess the next morning, your husband called, said, she's gone. I said, oh, uh -oh. I may have had a hand in that. <laughs> She said she loaded up a backpack yesterday afternoon and took off into the hills. And I, uh, I said, well, do you want her back? He thought for a minute. He said, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I said, well, then saddle up a couple of horses. I know the trail she's on. If she left at four, she will not have gotten far enough up at where the trail splits and you'd have to actually go hunting her. You'll find her somewhere along there, and she'll likely be glad to see you. <laughs> but it occurred to me, here's, a, here's somebody with mm. all the money. Yeah. That you could ever conceive of having. Yeah. And she's not happy. Mm. What does being rich mean to you? And what is actually being rich? You Waking know, like, up on my ranch. Yeah. Fixing myself some eggs from some chickens that I buy from a gal down the road. Mm -hmm. Going out into my garden these days, picking an apple off my tree. Yeah. And sitting on my porch watching the horses graze. And knowing that today I don't have to climb on an airplane. That's beautiful. So refreshing. Yeah, I wonder that sometimes too because, you know, I'm not like hugely financially supported in my own endeavors, but I feel extremely rich with the opportunities, with the friendships and the community that I am involved with, the things that I'm able to do. And that's what makes me feel really good. You know, so. they've run surveys, asked people, 
when you're happiest, mm -hmm. what are you doing? And it's almost always that they mm -hmm. are giving something to someone else. They're helping someone. They're taking part in the activities their community needs yeah. done. They're giving of themselves. Yeah. And that's something every one of us <laughs> can do every day. Just gifts all Just day. Just gifts. Awesome. So we all kind of know what sustainability means. But I'm curious, how do you define sustainability? And what does that look like to you? And what does sustainability mean to you as well? Sustainability is a way of being in the world that arises because the activities you're doing are regenerative. Sustainability isn't the goal. It's the outcome of mm. behaving in ways that are regenerative, yeah. particularly of human and natural capital. Okay. So that everything that you do is making the resources around you richer, more capable, more able to go on. So whether it be composting such that the carbon is going back into the soil yeah. or eating food that's locally created, mm -hmm. sold by people who have local ownership in yeah. the store – being conscious of your activities throughout the day. Yeah. And there are more and less sustainable behaviors. So even some of the biggest, arguably nastiest companies like Walmart, mm -hmm. when Walmart came out with its sustainability scorecard, they probably did more to encourage sustainability around the world than I ever will do. Why do you think that is? Because of their reach. Uh, because when Walmart says to China, we want sustainably made products, okay. Chinese are going to say, sure. If I say, yo, China. Yeah. <laughs> crickets. <Hello. laughs> I'm not going to have anything like the impact that one of these big companies can mm. have. So while I love working in my own community, working with small businesses, uh, I went and spoke to the entire senior management at Walmart when they first made this announcement. Yeah. I wanted to look Lee Scott in the eye and see if I thought he was serious. Mm. So I held up a book, How Walmart is Ruining America and the Rest of the World. And I said, this may come as a surprise to y'all, but you have critics. And I've been talking to <laughs> this is them. a little surprise. <laughs> yeah. And I said, fair enough. You're mm. uh, selling organic underwear and putting solar panels on your roof. But if you roam the planet rapaciously, exploiting people in developing countries and in communities here yeah. so that people like me can buy more pink fuzzy slippers, yep. this is not sustainable. Mm. What would a truly sustainable Walmart business model be? Yeah. I said, I don't know the answer to this question, but I think it's the one that is before you now. And I took the book wow. and sort of chucked it at least, got it, hit the floor and went, bam, he jumped. But he picked it up. Yeah. And so for a couple of years after that, I helped advise Walmart, mm. as I advise a number of big companies, on things that they could do to improve their sustainability. Yeah. And as I say, as a result of that, the work that they did has impacted much more of moving the world in the right direction yeah. than anything else I could have done. That's mm. called leverage. I hear sustainability sort of being something that shows up for everyone and is benefiting all people and planet. It has to be. If you look at the science, the work around planetary boundaries by yeah. Johan Rockström and the folk at Stockholm Resilience Center, 
we're exceeding the capacity of the earth to carry us yes. in at least four out of the nine what they identified as the planetary boundaries. At the same time, we are failing to deliver to all people the capacity to live lives of dignity. This is the work of Kate Rayworth in okay. the book Donut Economics. So what she said is there's a donut-shaped space below the planetary boundaries, above the human minimums. The sweet space, a safe and just operating space yeah. for humanity. Yeah. This is the concept of the donut. And so, yes, sustainability has to apply to everyone on Earth, or in many ways it applies to no one. At the okay. moment, we're losing life on the planet at a faster rate than when the dinosaurs went extinct. Mm -hmm. We're losing the capacity even to feed ourselves. Some of the scientists say we have 60 more harvests left, and then we wow. have depleted the fertility of the soil. Okay. And That's you can, real. That's pretty, That's pretty real. close. Uh, Lester Brown, the great sustainability scientist, has shown uh -huh. that we're one bad harvest away <sighs> from famine wow. on the planet. Okay. We are so unsustainable at the moment. Mm. We have 67 million refugees on the move today. Wow. Driven in large part by climate change across North Africa, the mm -hmm. Middle East, the scientists tell us by perhaps as early as 2040, the Middle East will be uninhabitable. It will be too hot. Yeah. At the same time, we know how to solve all of these problems. Mm -hmm. We have the technologies yeah. to put in place renewable energy for the entire world. I work with a man named Tony Seba, mm -hmm. who says, inevitably by 2030, the world will be 100% renewably powered because yeah. of four things, fall in the cost of solar, fall in the cost of storage, batteries, mm -hmm. the electric car, the driverless car. He said these coupled with a business model of transit as a service yeah. will displace essentially all oil, gas, coal, uranium, all of the, the nasty forms of energy. Yeah. And if Tony is right, and I think he is, because uh, when he and I had this conversation a couple of years back, I started watching. Fall in the cost of solar. Yeah. There was a projection in early 2017 that solar would fall below two cents a kilowatt hour in 2017. It did so in October when the Saudis commissioned an 800 megawatt solar field at yeah. 1.7. Okay. Mexico's brought some on at 2.4. Recently here in Colorado, Excel Energy, which has been exceedingly <clears throat> sentimental about their attachment to coal. Mm hmm put out an all-sources bid. Who could supply us 1,700 megawatts at any price from any source? There was no fossil bid below $0.04 cents a kilowatt hour. Wind was a bit below $0.02. Okay. Cents. Okay. Solar was a bit above $0.02. Cents. Solar plus wind plus storage batteries mm -hmm. was $0.03. Cents. Wow. It's happened. We're at the point at which solar energy... Yeah. Is cheaper than fossil energy. Oh, I love hearing that. So <laughs> Excel was so startled, <laughs> they put it out to bid again. They said, well, it can't possibly <laughs> wait, be wait, true. Hold on, wait a minute here. <laughs> and the numbers came back essentially the same. Okay. So in the last two weeks, Exxon announced they are going to shut two of their coal mm -hmm. plants and go to 60% renewable. Yeah. 
Now, why aren't they going to 100%? Well, I suppose you have to give them a little while to get used to this new world. So here's Tony Wright on fall in the cost of solar. Mm -hmm. Batteries. When the Aliso Canyon well blew out in Southern California, Mm -hmm. Elon Musk said, let's put in a big battery. Yes. He did in record time and at a price point roughly the same as bringing on a natural gas peaking plant. Yeah. He then turned around, put in a 100-megawatt battery in South Australia. When they had a power failure a week or so back, the battery dispatched power faster than any former alternative. He brought it in below time, below budget. Yeah. So Tony appears to be right on, too. Oh, and by the way, China has 20 gigafactories to bring on more of these batteries coming online in 2021. Yeah. The electric car. China has said they're phasing out the internal combustion engine. Mm-hmm. General Motors has said our future is electric. Great. So that's three for three. Mm-hmm. The driverless car, they're on the road today. Yeah, yeah. one killed somebody a while back, but 6,000 people die in the United States every year yeah. from driver cars hitting pedestrians. Mm-hmm. These things are safer than the cars we have today. And transit as a service – When we have electric vehicles, you take out your smartphone, whistle one of these things up, it gets you from where you are to where you want to be tenfold cheaper than what you do now to pay to buy, maintain, fuel, and insure a Mm. private vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At that point, we all switch. Yep. You now need a sixth as many cars in urban areas, which means you free up a whole lot of land for affordable housing Uh or parks or whatever you want to build there. So we're going to rebuild our cities. Yeah. Now, if Tony's right, you're going to do away with oil, gas, coal, uranium, nuclear, Mm -hmm. the utility industry, the auto industry, the banks that hold paper in them, the insurance companies and pension funds that are invested in them. It's quite a shift. This has the potential <laughs> to be the mother of all disruptions yeah. within 10 years' time. Wow. Which is to say we're going to reinvent everything. There's something sparking in my mind where this shift is only being summoned because of the shift of economics. We're ready to shift. We have the technology. We have the people. We have all the things that we want to do, but it takes it getting cheaper for the people who have most of the power to shift it to actually decide to do it. It could happen it's if so we based in all economics. said we want it. Yeah. When Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone, mm-hmm. it cost more than the phone you already had in your pocket, but we wanted it. Yeah. So we all went out and bought it. Mm-hmm. I can remember a time when we didn't have the internet. So can I. And it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. So these massive shifts are possible, and they can happen very rapidly. And Mm. once they start to snowball, you best get out of their way. But at the same time, we do need to give a little bit of thought of which avalanche chute we want all this stuff to come down, Mm -hmm. or it will come down on top (laughs) of us. So Which avalanche? I like that. Yeah. We also know how to solve the climate crisis at a profit. Through regenerative agriculture. Mm. And this is the work of the Savory Institute here in Boulder. Yeah. And a lot of people who are doing regenerative agriculture around the world. Mm -hmm. 
When the pioneers came across the Great Plains of the United States, they found 10 feet of thick black soil. That black is carbon. How did it get there? It got there because the bison and the elk and the grazing animals were dense-packed by predators. Yeah. If you're a bison and there's a wolf out there, the safe place to be is in the middle of the herd. Mm -hmm. Everybody's trying to get there. Yeah. They eat everything, their hooves chop up the soil, they fertilize the soil, and then they move on to where there is fresh grass. Yeah. They don't come back until the grass has regrown. And they hang together as a pack. Mm -hmm. If you look at the way we graze cattle now, we turn a few of them out over a vast area. They selectively eat the tastiest bits, and so yeah. you are selecting <laughs> for ever less productive pasture land. Mm. We can use electric fences, opening and closing water holes to dense pack cattle. Yeah. When you do this, you increase the carrying capacity of cattle, even on very degraded rangelands, and you increase the profitability of the rancher. So it's, again, we have a business case for doing it this way. Yeah. And you put carbon back in the soil. Yeah. When a cow or any grazing animal eats grass, and grass has 40 times the carbon per weight of, mm -hmm. say, a tree, the grass sloughs what are called polysaccharide sugars, which have carbon in them. Okay. That feeds the biological community in the soil. Ooh, yeah. That, particularly the mycorrhizal fungi, mineralize the carbon, and that's what put the black into the prairie soils. Mm. So there's a man in the Dakotas named Gabe Brown. He yeah. was going broke trying to grow commodity corn soybeans. Yeah. First he went to no-till. He stopped breaking the soil, plowing it. Then he planted cover crops, very deep-rooted plants that would carry the carbon deep into the soil. Then he would turn cattle out on the cover crops. So now he is not having to grow hay to feed the cattle through the winter. Okay. His cover crops are doing that. Yeah. He then comes back, drills in corn, soybeans, and oats and a whole array of other crops. Mm -hmm. He now has a diversity of yeah. agricultural products that he's selling. He's wildly profitable. Mm. And he's rolling climate change backward. When he started this, some of his plots were a little over 1% soil organic matter, carbon mm -hmm. in the soil. He has some now that are 15%. Wow. Native prairie soil is around seven. How long did it take to get that Ten number? Ten years. Ten years. Now, we've done some calculations. If you did this over the world's grasslands, uh -huh. which are now the world's second largest carbon sink, but are desertifying because okay. of bad management. So if you did what's called holistic management over yeah. all the world's grasslands, over something like 30 years, you get back to 280 parts per million concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. Yeah. So what can you do to help? Yeah. Buy your food from mm. practitioners of holistic management. Interesting. Is there a way to know if they're holistic managing their properties or not? Is Ask uh, them is the best way. Okay. And if you buy local, you can do that. Yeah. The other is to go online. Yeah, okay. And if you just go to the supermarket and buy commodity eggs, mm -hmm. uh, no, they're not regeneratively <laughs> grown. But take a look on the package. Yeah. Many times they will say pasture-raised. Okay. That means they are practicing a form of holistic management. And figure yes. out what the name of the farmer is and write mm. them and ask mm. them, are you practicing holistic management? Savory is working nice. on an approach they call land-to-market where okay. 
practitioners who are doing holistic management are marketed to the consumer yeah. as regenerative. Yeah. So you're going to start seeing little labels on okay. packages of regeneratively grown. Nice. And that's a way it's where making it easy yeah, for the it makes consumer. it easy for the consumer. Yep. Now, how does Savory know that it really is regenerative? Mm -hmm. They've created a thing called ecological outcome verification, okay. which is a process that a farmer rancher goes through so that they know, is carbon content in their soil increasing year on year? Is mm. biodiversity increasing okay. year on year? And they measure a whole set of both leading and lagging indicators. Yeah. And Savory takes a look at that information and certifies them. Mm. That's so great. It's like now a little scorecard. Now you know. Holistic scorecards. Holistic scorecards. <laughs> and this is what Walmart did with its suppliers. Nice. They said they had 15 questions. Question number one, do you measure your carbon footprint? Question number two, Ooh. do you report that measurement to the Carbon Disclosure Ooh, Project? That might hurt some companies uh -huh. to even look at that as a first question. They're like, oh, boy. Oh, boy, this is real. <laughs> but who the hell is Carbon Disclosure Project? Who died and made them God? Well, yeah. Walmart. But they were a group of kids <clears throat> out of the UK who mm. about 15 years ago said companies should measure and manage their carbon footprint. Accountability. Accountability. I love it. Yeah. And about two years ago, they came out with a report showing that the companies that are leading in measuring and managing their carbon footprint have 18% higher return on investment than wow. the companies that are lagging, 67% higher than companies that say, well, we don't care about carbon. Mm. Again, it's better business. Is that Does that look more sexy to the public? Is that why? It's just kind of this... The new thing or – No, do you when think you pay are... attention, you pay attention. Yeah. If you're paying attention to your carbon footprint, you're better managing your company. Yeah, and What's your product's your carbon probably footprint? way better too. Yeah. It's the fact that you have burnt fossil fuel to uh -huh. produce your product. Uh -huh. If you're using solar, you don't have a carbon footprint. Yeah. So the companies <laughs> that are doing the right thing mm -hmm. have a lower carbon footprint. Very cool. So a few years ago, a group of us put together a little company called Change Finance. Okay. To create That's the one with the little buffalo the logo. The little buffalo. Yeah. The little bison. To create what's called an exchange-traded fund, uh -huh. an ETF, that is truly fossil fuel free. Okay. Our investment theory is – if you're paying attention, if you're better managing, you're better managing. Yeah. So the stocks ought to outperform. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So far they are. One thing I really appreciate about your work and how you view sustainability is you don't have this like, oh, throw economics away. It's not working. We need to focus on the land. You actually – bring them together you have a diverse like a holistic look at economy and sustainability and how do they work together so using money to benefit sustainability benefit land benefit people who are doing the good work and i really appreciate that about you because when i was doing some research i was noticing you're very involved in that and you actually realize like oh we're not going to get rid of banks like that's well, that's actually, like a whole nother it, it's Blockchain it's a possibility may. Well, we know yeah, about blockchain, bank, Coinbase, bank, yeah. all that fun stuff. A bank is a clearinghouse. Uh -huh. If I'm a rancher and I have a herd of cattle, which I actually have a small herd, <laughs> and you grow eggs, 
and I want some eggs and you want some beef. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can trade. Yeah. Or we can, I can sell my cattle, put the money in the bank. You put your money in the bank. Mm-hmm. When you want beef, you pay me yeah. for the beef. I want eggs. I pay you for the eggs. The bank is the clearinghouse. Mm-hmm. And we trust that the bank, if we give them a certain amount of money, it'll still yeah. be there. Well, that's what blockchain does. You put a certain amount of money in, it's still there because it's verified yeah. by the blockchain. Okay, now why do we need a bank? A utility. I want electricity to the extent I don't make it for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have five kilowatts of solar on my ranch, but Great. at night, I don't have a wind machine or a mm-hmm. geothermal rig or whatever else could give me yeah. fixed firm 24-hour power. So it's simpler to exchange it with the utility. Yeah. Suppose I put up batteries and my neighbor wanted to buy from me. Yeah. Right now that would be hard. With blockchain, it'd be dead easy. So yeah. you're starting to see microgrids uh-huh. emerge. Uh-huh. Right now they're emerging in places <laughs> like Puerto Rico where the existing mm. utility is just so corrupt you don't want to deal with them. Yeah. But we could have them here in Boulder. Yeah. Neighbors buying and selling from each other. Mm-hmm. Using blockchain. Yeah. I'm so actually folk a... like Alex mm-hmm. Tapscott, who has this great video on blockchain, is saying, again, this is going to change everything. Yeah. We're going to do away with banks and utilities and all of the other institutions uh-huh. that are clearinghouses, all of which charge us a bit for the service of being a clearinghouse mm-hmm. because blockchain will do it for us. Now, I've also heard other people say, no, no, no. These institutions provide other services we want we are going to continue to use them yeah i still think blockchain is going to be extraordinarily disruptive and it's it's going to be very interesting to mm-hmm. watch these institutions scramble to yep. figure out how to do it differently and i think yeah. that's a good thing this kind of disruption this innovation this entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is what brings us a better Way to live. I fully agree with you. I have a blockchain. I have a Coinbase. I got a bin- I got all these like little crypto kind of investigations going on. And I love it because you are communicating with a different source of using money and or trade. And the way the blockchain is set up, it's actually pretty secure. It's so a little bit say. more secure. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not based on fiat, the idea of something. So I'm doing my homework and we're moving in those directions. And I feel like other people should too, because there's a beautiful disruption happening within that and a shift of, we don't need to be stuck in something that maybe not be serving us as much anymore. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. There's some very interesting carbon plays going on on the blockchain. There's a company called Nori that Mm -hmm. has created a carbon coin. There are now two or three others coming along. There are regenerative farmers that are creating coins so that you can invest in putting carbon into the soil through regenerative agriculture. Wow. And again, we're only oh. scratching the surface of all <laughs> of so the cool. fun things that we can do with this. At the same yeah. time, be careful. Definitely. You can lose a great deal of money you can. being an early investor mm-hmm. into some of these things. So do your homework. Mm-hmm. Deal with people that you know and trust. Yep. And... I think we can create this finer future. And that's why I wrote the book titled A Finer Future. Yeah. It hits bookstores the 9th of October. Uh Uh-huh. 
or you can order it through Natural Capitalism Solutions, or you can get yeah. it from Amazon if you like dealing yeah. with great businesses. Hey, wait a minute. That's coming up. That's, That's in a couple right days. Up. It's awesome. like next week, yes. Hey, well, look at that. I have a question about your book. Hey, look at that. So it's called A Finer Future, Creating an Economy in Service to Life. When someone picks that up, what should they expect in reading that? Like, what's the direction in this book? When I first started writing it, I went through, as, as we talked a bit, about the bad news, yeah. about all the threats facing us. Mm. And the people who read the early chapters said, we can't read this. I just put it down. Okay. So I thought, hmm, can't have that. Hard to digest it all. So I rewrote the beginning of the book. It's 2050 and we've made it. What's life Ooh. like? Hey. What does it feel like? <laughs> to wake up in a passive house in Indonesia in a oh. shared community. What does it feel like to be wow. attending the business school where I teach, the Bard MBA in New York City, mm -hmm. for a young African woman who has just ridden the little train down the middle of Broadway in New York City and is joking with a woman who is harvesting vegetables wow. because – the streets yeah. are now gardens with a little train running down the middle of it. And what's it like when the Savory Center in Africa is the world center of how we do agriculture? And just vignettes of yeah. what life could be like in Ooh. a finer future. And remember back in 2018 how we were threatened by climate <laughs> change, but we solved that through – regenerative agriculture, uh, or remember how we were afraid that we were losing biodiversity, but we've solved that. And then the rest of the book is how we solve it. Yeah. In each instance oh, okay. in the introductory chapter where I say, and we solved it, there's a footnote to what's happening now today. Yeah. William Gibson, the science fiction writer, said the future's already here. It's just not widely distributed. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Yep. Somewhere around the planet is the solution that we need. And what we need to do is pull all of these together. And then perhaps most importantly, we need to tell a new story. The story that runs the world economy yes. today is called neoliberalism. It's based on a set of mental models. Mm -hmm. We're all greedy bastards. But because the market is perfect, you against me will somehow aggregate to the greater good. No, it won't. It yeah. hasn't. Yeah. It has led to all of the challenges facing us. Yeah. And the fact that eight men now have as much wealth as the bottom half of humanity. Yeah. The soaring levels of inequality and the overrunning of our resource base. When scientists look at what has caused collapse throughout human history, they find it's caused by one or both of two things. You overrun your resource base or you have high levels of inequality. Okay. Hello, here we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait and a minute, I see something there. Yeah, there's a <laughs> pattern here. So th wow. the book then walks through, what would a new story be? Mm -hmm. It turns out, again, you go back to the science. Humans aren't greedy bastards. When pre-humans mm. came down out of the trees in Africa, mm -hmm. we were naked, our claws were pretty inadequate, our teeth weren't all that long and sharp. We yep. weren't as fast as a lion. Mm -hmm. We are here. You and I are having this conversation today because our ancestors cared yeah. more for the good of the whole than any one of them 
cared for him and herself. Yeah. We know this from the DNA. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there were a whole bunch of tribes of pre-humans. Most of them went extinct. Mm-hmm. The ones that didn't, and it's in our DNA. This is not a bug. It's not a flaw in human behavior. It is core to who we are as humans. Yeah. These ancient pre-humans cared for people who were cripples, and they cared for the elderly. Mm-hmm. They cared for the community more than the young, strong ones cared for him or herself. Yeah. And the scientists now tell us, Dr. Paul Lawrence at Harvard, Dr. Michael Pearson at Fordham, that humans have four drives, the drive to acquire, and once we have stuff, the drive to defend. That's we share with all animals. Mm -hmm. But we also have two more, the drive to bond and the drive to comprehend, to tell story, to create meaning. And these last two, they say, are just as core to who you are as a human as the first two, and they're not fungible. You can't trade one off against the other. Yeah. This is why we have, throughout history, these pervasive stories of uber-rich people who are yep. miserable because they don't have friends. Getting their backpack and just leaving. It's why we love Facebook. We love people. Mm. We love each other. Yeah. What are you doing over there? Yeah. Show me. Show me. I want to see. <laughs> and this bonding is as I said, just as core to who we are as human beings as the neoliberals said was the drive to acquire. Yeah. So if that's true, if we've based our economic system on bad mythology, Mm -hmm. we need to rewrite our story. I love that. Yeah. We're meaning-making machines. We are. So what is the meaning that means more to us in this moment? And let's write that. And what will give us survival Yeah, is bonding, is working together, mm-hmm. is innovative, entrepreneuring, yes. creating these new approaches, technologies. And I believe it starts with a new story of what is regenerative. Life is regenerative. Nature yeah. is sustainable, not because it said, oh, we're going to be sustainable, but because it's regenerative, it is constantly creating mm-hmm. conditions conducive to life, yes. as Janine Benyus put it. Oof. And this is what we need to do in everything we do, create conditions conducive to life. Yeah. How are we giving life in this moment, whether it be with our words, our actions, our purchases? Or just a smile. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're making me smile. And we have this capacity. This, again, is human across the planet. Mm -hmm. Anywhere on the world, if you encounter someone and you smile, they smile back. Yes. Yes. I have this idea where we have the makeup, the characteristics to do what is right in every single moment. The people who aren't doing things right in every moment, they still have it within them to do it. And so we need to learn how to invite others to make that good decision and also to have that internal dialogue with ourselves to invite ourselves to do the same thing in every moment. And I was I was listening to some quantum physics stuff yesterday with Nassim Harriman, who's like the resonant projects. He's like crazy brilliant. But there was something that triggered in my mind where we are part of the field in which we engage in and we have the mechanisms and the abilities to change within the field with a smile. You give someone like the little like ooh quivers and they feel good in their heart. You shifted the field. 
we have we are part of the field shifting it in every moment so it's might as well invest in the things that will shift it towards the benefit to us we have so little clue how the world really works and we created this myth of neoliberalism we being 36 men who met <laughs> in 1947 at uh-huh. a hotel outside montreux switzerland a hotel uh-huh. called mont pelerin and they laid down the principles mm. of neoliberalism yeah that markets are perfect that freedom, individual freedom, is the paramount value and that it is best expressed in markets. Therefore, you don't need government. Yeah. Government's unnecessary, they said. It should be as small as possible and get out of the way. They created a thing called the Mont Pelerin Society. They got their members as advisors to every head of state on the planet. Mm-hmm. Milton Friedman, one of these 36, took over the Chicago School of Economics. So if you've had an economics class, the stuff is in your head. Yeah. And they beavered away. It was still a fairly wonkish ideology until in 1971, a man named Lewis Powell here in the United States was asked by the Chamber of Commerce how business could become the dominant institution. You know, 1971, the 60s were sex, drugs, rock and roll, the... Culture revolution was delegitimizing yeah. business. So the chamber said, how do, how do we get back in power? And you can go online and download the Powell Memorandum and read it, and it is chilling. Yeah. Because it is the playbook by which mm. the neoliberals, the far right, took over the country. Mm. Things like Powell laid out 26 targets. Things like uh, schools of business, textbooks. Lower court judges, school districts. Wow. And on the strength of that memo, five institutions, uh, Olin, Coors, Scaife, Bradley, and the Koch brothers, each committed something like $5 million for five years to create and endow heritage. Fast forward to 2017, our Cheeto-in-Chief walks into the Oval Office, deer in the headlights because he did not expect to win. And he has handed a playbook written by the Heritage Foundation. Mm. Here's who you appoint. Here's your first hundred days. When Mr. Obama walked into the White House, he had to make it up. And remember, he walked in in the face of the 2008 financial collapse. Mm Mm-hmm. The country was coming, the world economy was coming unglued, and yeah. it really was. Another one more, one or two more banks go down, and it would have been the Great Depression. And they were going to go down. Yeah. So Summers, Geithner had playbooks written by Goldman, and they said, here's what you do re liquidify the big banks, take care of Wall Street. Yep. Where were we with a playbook of, no, invest in Main Street, mm-hmm. invest in the real economy, mm-hmm. invest in regenerative businesses? Yeah. We had no playbook. Yeah. So last week in New York, a group of us launched an organization called We All, the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, yeah. to begin writing just such a playbook so that when a government is in trouble, We can say, here is the economics, here's the science, here's the evidence that if you invest in Main Street, as opposed to implementing the austerity 
that organizations like the International Monetary Fund say is essential if your country is in deficit. Mm -hmm. Here's how you will grow your economy. So we're gathering the yeah. scholars, the researchers, the scientists. We're also gathering the activists, new economy organizations from around the world who want to start working together, crafting and disseminating this new narrative of a world that works for everyone. Yep. And business people. There are a number of businesses that have said, look, we know we're part of the old world. We know the world is changing. Yeah. Help us transform. Oh, great. So one of these businesses put up a quarter million dollars to launch We All. Nice. And I sat with them. They're an old line, brand name business. You'd recognize it in a heartbeat. And uh -huh. they said, help us. Help. <laughs> help us transform. So great. And so Love we're that. working with businesses. We're working with faith groups. Yeah. Working with, with academics and scholars wow. and activists to to try to build this narrative of uh, a finer future. Yes. If it doesn't work for everyone, it will not work. It will not so work. So we go step up or what we could do, you know? I love it. So we're, we're kind of done. And I just, I have so many more Puck questions. Me with the folk, I'm done. <laughs> but I mean, damn, we could just talk forever. You're just so, you just have so much energy and you're just so well, enlightened in, the, in this field. And it's just so good to hear all this. But, I mean, unfortunately, our time is up. But. Well, if people want more of it, uh, go to your local independent bookstore and yeah. get a copy of A Finer Future. Great. So I just have one more question for you. And you don't have to make it too long, but what would you like to see happen in the next 10 years? And then to follow that, how can people find you, follow you, maybe shout your book out and any other things that you want to do? I am on Facebook, Hunter Lovins. I'm on Twitter, at Hunter Lovins or at H. Lovins. I forget which one it is. Okay. Natural Capitalism Solutions. Yeah. www.natcapsolutions.org. Okay. You can buy the book there, A Finer yes. Future, Creating an Economy in Service to Life. And what I would like to see is for the young generation to take responsibility for creating the world it wants to see. Mm. Vote. Yeah. Yep. Number one thing this November, vote. In two years, goddamn well vote. <laughs> we can yes. shift the politics. We are shifting the economics. Mm -hmm. For the price of a pizza, you can invest in one share of our little ETF, CHGX. With that, you're now an impact investor. Wow. I'm going to buy a couple pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> with that investment that is great i i love investing in the world that i want to see and that's something i feel empowered in doing and i guess there is this invitation to ask us all to step up and do this every dollar you spend yep every action you take is a choice what Very kind true. of a world do you want to live in exactly Thank you so much for speaking with us today. You are so I really very appreciate welcome. It. it is time that we let you go on to your next adventure here in Boulder. And so thank you so much. My pleasure. So I'd like to thank Hunter Lovins for speaking with me today. Hunter Lovins is a sustainability activist, also an author, a teacher, a speaker, and president slash founder of Natural Capitalism Solutions. So thank you again. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You. 
the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.